always, always good to be with you. Uh, this was an especially good Sunday to be here. The music today was awesome. Thank you to everybody who took part in that. We are coming up on, I think, my favorite holiday of the year. It's, you know, Christmas is pretty good, you know, but Thanksgiving doesn't have, I don't have to worry about Santa Claus and reindeer or, you know, any of that kind of junk. You know, this is one of the last holidays where it's about being thankful, and, and I just love it. Uh, we always have our family together and, and uh, have a big meal around the table, and one of our traditions as a family is usually after the meal, we'll spend some time, we'll just go around the table, and everybody will say what they're thankful for, and you, you say something, and then you go around, and someone's like, oh, I was going to say that, you know, and you, know, you go around the table, we'll go two or three times, and uh, one of the things that always comes up is being thankful for our country. And I, I am. Uh, we, we've got so many needs in our country, but I am so thankful for uh, this country we live in. I'm thankful for, for you as a church family. I'm thankful for the freedom that we have to worship the Lord uh, freely. But the freedom we enjoy is really a rare thing in the history of, of planet Earth. And it's important that we not take it for granted because it really is so rare uh, there are so many people on this earth that have struggled uh, for a long time. And one of them that we're going to focus in on again today is the, the Jewish people, God's chosen people. And they have long been on the receiving end of many brutal attempts to destroy them and to wipe them out. In the 8th century before Christ, it was the Assyrians then in the 6th century before Christ, it was the Babylonians. Then in the 2nd century, 200 years before the time of Christ, it was the Greeks under Antiochus Epiphanes who came in and they devastated the Jewish people. And then came the Romans, and the Romans weren't uh, much better. And in 70 AD, there was a terrible war where many uh, of the Jews were destroyed. And then again in 132 AD, and most of the Jews that weren't killed were just scattered to the four corners uh, of the world. And fleeing from country to country, uh, they have experienced a desperate struggle for survival. Uh, from one place to another, they've had to flee. Uh, during the Crusades, uh, around 1000 A.D., we think of the Crusades as a good thing. They were really not. The Crusades were a terrible thing. And uh, many Jews during the Crusades were, were brutally slaughtered, uh, supposedly, in the name of Christ. In 1492, while Columbus was busy discovering uh, America, the Jewish people were cast out of Spain. They were just told, pack your bags, you've got to go. I, I can sort of relate to that because uh, we, Jeannie and I, live in a home we, we rent uh, from an Amishman. We've lived there for several years, and uh, we found out about 10 days ago that he wants to move into our house, and we have to find another place to live. So I can kind of relate to the Jews. They, only we weren't persecuted. We were just we were given some time to, to do this. But on and on it goes with the Jewish people. In the early part of uh, the last century, uh, millions uh, perished during the reign of terror uh, of Lenin and, and then Stalin in the Soviet Union. Uh, during World War II, you're all familiar with that, of course, how Adolf Hitler tried to succeed where many others had failed in his attempt to solve the Jewish problem uh, once and for all. Now, of course, that attempt, uh, even though they killed some six million Jews, they failed in exterminating them. And after 
World War II, uh, one of the most amazing uh, prophecies of all time has come to fulfillment, Ezekiel 36 and 37, in the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel and the rebirth of the nation of Israel and the restoration of the land of Israel. And uh, if you look in chapter 36 and 37 of Ezekiel, you'll see that that's what those chapters are about. But even then, okay, even after Israel became a nation once again, time and time and time again, coalitions of enemy nations have come together and have banded together and attacked Israel. This is, this is in our lifetimes now, many of us, uh, with the goal of destroying them and literally throwing them into the sea and, and wiping them off the map. And there's another war coming. And uh, the word of God in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 tells us of an end times coalition that is going to come together against Israel to try to destroy her once and for all. Okay, and the Bible has told us about this one. Okay, it's called the War of Gog and Magog. Okay, and as we started uh, to see last week, even now it seems like maybe the pieces are falling into place uh, for the fulfillment of this prophecy. And so we're going to continue to study today uh, what the Bible says about that war as we examine this alliance that's uh, perhaps even forming today uh, in fulfillment of prophecy to destroy Israel. Now, if you're visiting for the first time, or if you weren't here last Sunday, you may find yourself a little bit lost as we dive into our study today. Uh, last week, we kind of walked through these two chapters, Ezekiel 38 and 39, to get the broad overview of this end times invasion that's coming. If you weren't here last week, uh, I would encourage you to go to the church website. The sermons are always posted there. You can listen online and I think it'd be important uh, to understand this prophecy because this is one that's uh, very possibly coming to fulfillment soon. So let's start out with the best place in uh, God's word, Ezekiel chapter 38. And I'm actually going to put these verses up on the screen here for us because I know we've all got different translations and we'll just look at this together. This is chapter uh, 38 verse 1. The word of the Lord uh, came to me Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army your horses, your horsemen fully armed, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets. Also Gomer with all its troops, and Bethtogarma from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. Now, if you've ever read this chapter before on your way reading through the Bible or something, you probably got to that and it was just gobbledygook and it's like, I have no clue what he's talking about there and you just kind of read on. That's usually what happens to us. So today I hope that I'll help you understand a little bit better uh, the specifics of what he's talking about in this prophecy. Now, I have always loved maps and geography, okay, but that may not be you. So let's just take a moment to get acquainted with this region. 
Okay, there's uh, little Israel. It's actually one of the smallest countries on the face of the earth. Okay, it's barely the size of New Jersey. Okay, you can hardly even see it there on this map, and obviously that's not even a map of the whole world. Okay, and then here you can see all the other major uh, nations that we <coughs> know today uh, that we're familiar with because we hear these names all the time. And there, of course, is Israel, uh, located smack dab in the middle of all these. And even the Bible describes Israel as the epicenter of the world. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 12, calls it the center of the earth. Okay, Israel is the center of the earth, according to God's word. Now, these two chapters that we're looking at are really a message directed to somebody identified as Gog, G-O-G. So who is Gog? Well, Gog is the leader of this coalition. Okay, he is the northern ruler. Okay, this is not his name. Okay, this is his title, like you might have a, a, a czar or a pharaoh, or something like that. He's, he's the Gog. He's the leader of this coalition. <clears throat> a lot of people think, well, maybe he's the Antichrist. No, uh, this is not uh, the Antichrist, uh, but he is someone who will rise to power in the last days, and he will coordinate and, and uh, 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 lead this uh, invasion, this alliance against Israel. And we know where he's from. Because the Bible describes this country far to the north of Israel. Okay, it used to be called, uh, in my younger years, the Soviet Union. Now it's Russia and a bunch of these strange-sounding former Soviet republics. So he's going to be a leader from the land that we know today as Russia. Okay? Now who will he be? We don't really know for sure. Could it be Vladimir Putin, prime minister of Russia today? Maybe. Okay, it could be. I'm not saying it is him, but I'm saying it could be him. Or it could be somebody like him. Or it could be somebody who will rise to power after him. I don't think the focus is so much on the identity of the man himself as it is the nation that he represents. And I want to talk with you just a little bit about Russia because this is important to understand. Uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, a lot of people said the Russian bear is dead. But the Russian bear did not die. It simply went into hibernation for a while. And today, it has awakened with great fury uh, as Prime Minister Vladimir Putin uh, attempts to restore the former glory of Mother Russia. And the Russian bear is busy making new friends, most notably in the Middle East, and Russia is rapidly uh, forging new alliances right now with Islamic nations that are bent on Israel's destruction. And this is a key part of Russia's plan to restore the power she once enjoyed. Now, some of you may remember a number of years back, uh, Russia uh, was in the news uh, when it invaded one of its neighboring countries with a sovereign independent nation by the name of of Georgia, and they invaded the nation of Georgia, and they seized uh, control there. Now, to most of us who are unfamiliar with geography and the politics of the region, it barely registered a, a blip on our radar screens, because the only Georgia that most of us are familiar with has Atlanta as its capital and sits down there someplace between South Carolina and Florida, okay? But you can actually see it here on this map, 
Uh, it's right here. It's up there above Turkey. It's really not all that far from the border of Iran. And after the invasion, uh, a man by the name of Robert Baer wrote in Time magazine about how Russia wants to rebuild an empire. And this invasion of Georgia was a key part of that. Let me read you this quote. Russia's invasion of Georgia has less to do with South Ossetia than with a Russia that never reconciled itself to losing an empire or to be treat, being treated like a second-rate power all these years. The question now is what else Russia is prepared to do to make up for those 17 years of humiliation. One thing we should pretty much count on is that Moscow right now is casting an eye toward Iran, the most direct route to restoring its influence in the Middle East. Okay, and it's this Russian-Iranian alliance that is driving the politics of the whole region today, right now in the news today. Now, if you follow world news, you probably know that Russia's ambition to seize control of ever more power and, and territory did not stop when they invaded uh, little Georgia. Since then, they have gone on, they invaded the country of Ukraine, and now they, they uh, control a portion of Ukraine. Okay, it's a sovereign, independent nation, and they just said, we want it, it's, we're going to take it, and they moved in and they took it. Okay, they have been threatening to take over the Baltic states of Latvia and Estonia and Lithuania. And most recently, they have effectively seized control in Syria, right next door to Israel, where right now they have a large military presence in, in Syria. They've taken advantage of what's going on there to move in right next door to Israel. So we need to talk about the members of this coalition that Ezekiel identifies uh, here in this passage and ask the questions, who are they? Okay, who is he talking about here? All these gobbledygook names, okay? What nations is he talking about? Where are they located? What do we know about them? What were the, were the names of those countries today as, as we know them? And you need to understand that international boundaries uh, tend to move over time. They don't always stay exactly the same. And so uh, a, a people group or a nation that was identified 2,600 years ago, it may not have a direct, uh, a per, uh, perfect correlation with, with a country today, but we can get a pretty good idea of what he's talking about. Okay, first there is Magog, okay, and we have some help with this, but there, because there is a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, he, he lived shortly after the time of Christ, and he identified Magog as the Scythians, okay, and the Scythians were people who lived to the north and to the east uh, of the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. And today, that region includes southern Russia and also the former Soviet republics. Okay, these are all the stands, okay? No relation to me, okay? Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and even parts of northern Afghanistan. And under the uh, days of the Soviet <coughs> Union, uh, they were officially atheist, of course, because the Soviet Union was officially atheist. But it's important to realize that this area is almost predominantly Islamic, okay, and sometimes hardline Islamic. And there's some 60 million people that live in that region today. And next on Ezekiel's list is Rosh, okay, which is a little easier for us to identify. That's modern-day Russia. Now, my map is not nearly big enough to get more than just a tiny little sliver of it there, 
But geographically, Russia is by far the largest country in the world. Anybody know what the second largest country in the world is? No, it's not China. It's Canada. Okay, geographically, it's Canada. What's third? Actually, the United States. Okay, not population-wise, but, but geography-wise. But Russia is as big as Canada and the United States put together. Okay, it's a huge, huge country. And Rosh, uh, in Hebrew, can mean head or chief. Okay, leading to the translation in some of our Bibles, including the ESV, that, that, Gog, I'm sorry, that Gog is the chief prince of, of Meshach and Tubal. However, some of the oldest and most reliable uh, translations of the Old Testament translate Rosh as the proper name of a geographic place. Uh, if you use the New American Standard, you'll, you'll see it translated there, where it's identified as, as uh, the land of, of Rosh. And there's been a lot of scholarly uh, uh, study uh, done on this, and without boring you with all the, the details, it's been pretty solidly shown uh, that Rosh can be identified with that land and the people up there in the far north that we know of today as, as Russia. And you can even see the, the linguistic connection uh, between the names Rosh, Russia, they even sound alike. And it fits well with our text, of course, where twice in this passage these people are identified as coming from the far north, okay, way up there, from the perspective of Israel, way up there, in the far north. And what country, you can pull out your maps if you have them, okay, what country is there to the far north of Israel? There's only one choice, okay? It's, it's Russia. Now, Russia has opposed the nation of Israel from the very, very beginning. Even before the rebirth of the state of Israel under Lenin and, and Stalin, there were terrible pogroms that were carried out against the Jews in Russia. A lot of Jewish people used to live in Russia, not so many now. Actually, many of them have migrated to Israel. There's places you can go in Israel and all the road signs are in Russian because there's so many Jews that have left Russia to come to Israel. But back in those days, before they were even allowed to leave, they said, we don't want you to leave, we just want to kill you. And that's what they did. And they, they killed uh, hundreds of thousands, sometimes even millions of Jews in Russia. And since Israel became a nation uh, over and over again, even though Russia was not uh, an actual participant in the wars to destroy Israel, they were always there uh, supporting and in the background uh, supplying arms and, and ammunitions uh, and support to the nations that were fighting Israel. Now, it has long been Russia's plan to destroy Israel okay, and to seize power in the region. And even recently, relatively recently, uh, Russia has planned direct invasions of Israel. And I want to tell you about something that you, you probably have never heard about. Uh, back in 1982, okay, the then Prime Minister of Israel, uh, Menachem Begin, went public with a story that previously had only been known to the upper echelons of Israeli and U.S. intelligence. And while the IDF, the Israeli uh, Defense Forces, had been fighting in Lebanon, they discovered a massive, gigantic cache of Soviet weaponry hidden in deep underground caves and tunnels in Lebanon, okay, which is just, just to the north of Israel. Israel borders with, with Lebanon. And these weapons appeared to have been pre-positioned by Moscow for the launching of a full-scale 
invasion of Israel. And we're not talking about just a few guns and rounds of ammunition here. Okay, this haul included 4,000 tons of ammunition, 144 armored vehicles and tanks, 12,500 pieces of small arms, 515 heavy weapons, 359 sophisticated communication devices, and much more. It required a fleet of hundreds of 10-ton trucks working night and day for six weeks to haul all this captured weaponry back to Israel. And the sheer size and scope of the discovery was, was staggering. Now, the Israelis knew that the Russians were arming Yasser Arafat and the Palestinian Liberation Organization. That's why Israel had invaded Lebanon in the, in the first place. But no one had any idea that the Soviets themselves were actually preparing for a massive ground assault against Israel. But there's no other explanation for the quantities of weapons that they found. You see, Russia has always wanted to destroy Israel. They've wanted, they, they want to control that whole region, and they view Israel as the key to the region. And remember, this whole war of Gog and Magog, even though uh, it's made up mostly of Islamic nations, it's masterminded, and it is, it is commanded by this Russian leader, this Gog, whoever he is. And if you can control the Middle East and the wealth of the world's oil that is there in the Middle East, you can pretty much control the whole world. And please don't count Russia down and out, okay? Maybe she meddles in elections, maybe she doesn't, okay? We won't even get into that stuff, but she really, really is rising to power once again, and she wants to control the world. Now, after Rosh, Ezekiel moves on to Meshach and Tubal. And just write the word turkey in the blank on your outline after those names and uh, not the kind of turkey we're going to eat on Thursday, okay, the country of Turkey. And uh, some people uh, have said, well, you know, Meshach kind of sounds like Moscow. Maybe he's talking about Moscow. They do sound alike. Uh, Tubal has also been connected with the city of Tobolsk in eastern Russia. Uh, probably those are not the right answers. And again, without boring you with all the scholarly details most scholars today identify these uh, with modern-day Turkey. And I'll have some things to say about Turkey, the country of Turkey, but I'll save that for a few minutes. Because then we go on to Persia, which beyond any doubt is the country of Iran. Okay? And this is one of the key players in this coalition. It's placed very prominently in Ezekiel's list of allies taking part in this invasion of Israel. And we've been talking so much about Iran recently that we almost forget that there has never in human history ever been an alliance between the nation of Iran and the nation of Russia. Okay, these two countries have hated each other forever. They have never worked together on anything until today. And for the first time in 2,600 years since Ezekiel gave this prophecy, these two nations now have a very, very strong alliance with each other. And this has only developed in very recent years. Okay? It's almost like you can see the details of this prophecy falling into place right in our lifetimes. Now let me tell you how this came about. After the Iran-Iraq war, which is ancient history to a few of you, okay, but it ended in, in 1988, left over a million people dead, 
uh, in those two countries. Uh, Iran had lots of money, okay, because they had oil, okay, but they desperately needed to rearm. They had used up most of their military uh, preparations. Meanwhile, the Soviet Union had collapsed, okay? They had all kinds of weapons, but they really needed money. And in the words of Joel Rosenberg, a man I follow closely here, he said, this was a match made in hell. And, and money went from Iran to Russia. Weapons went from Russia to Iran. Okay, we're talking billions of dollars worth. Vladimir Putin had a big hand in all this. And Russia also sold uh, nuclear materials to Iran, and they trained Iranian nuclear scientists. Meanwhile, uh, Russia repeatedly blocked in the United Nations sanctions against Iran. And maybe some of you remember the name of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Okay, he was the former president of Iran. When he came to power in 2005, things really began to heat up. Uh, in 2007, Vladimir Putin himself went to meet with Ahmadinejad in Iran. And then there was a second election. Ahmadinejad stole that election. They're all rigged over there. And very first order business, the very thing he did, the very next day after being reelected president of Iran was to take a trip straight to Moscow. That was the first place he went to strengthen the alliance that is growing between between Russia and Iran. And there's an apocalyptic storm that is brewing over there in the Middle East. Now, Iran is in the news all the time right now. I hope you listen to the news. You should. Okay, Iran has built uh, uranium enrichment facilities. We know about that. They've tried to hide them, but we've found out about many of those. Maybe we don't know about all of them. They're clearly building those for the purpose of creating nuclear weapons. There's a guy by the name of A.Q. Khan who was the uh, father of Pakistan's nuclear weapons development program. And he came out a number of years ago admitting to the fact that he sold advanced nuclear weapons blueprints to Iran uh, for millions of dollars. Okay? They've got the plans. Okay? We know that. And we also know that they've got enough enriched uranium over there right now that they could start building nuclear bombs right now. Now, while negotiating the, thankfully, now defunct Iran nuclear deal uh, during President Obama's administration, Iran kept denying, oh, we don't want to build weapons. We're not, this is just for peaceful purposes. Well, it was all a lie. And just this summer, again, you probably heard about this in the news, the world learned of a massive intelligence coup carried about, out by Israel's Mossad. Okay, the Mossad is kind of like the CIA for them. And they discovered and, and stole this whole massive trove of Iranian nuclear documents they actually smuggled these things out of the country i don't know how they did it okay but they did it was in the news this summer uh, proving that iran all along has had an ambitious highly secretive effort going on to build nuclear weapons okay they want those bombs they really want those bombs and if they ever get them they've been crystal clear in their intention to use them to destroy israel once and for all Now, sanctions are going into place again, okay, thank goodness, okay, those need to continue. But remember, Iran has a very, very strong ally in Russia, okay, and Russia already has nuclear weapons. And humanly speaking, a war is coming. The the alliances against Israel over there are getting stronger, they're growing, 
Israel's enemies in the region have long sought to destroy her. Uh, They've never given up on that ambition. Radical, uh, apocalyptic Islam provides a religious motivation for them to, to do this. Meanwhile, Israel is getting stronger. They're getting more wealthy. They're discovering oil. They're discovering, discovering gas. Their, their business is booming over there. Tourism to Israel is at record levels. Every year, there's more and more people going there, which, which is great for Israel because tourists bring money in with them. And they've, they've got all this wealth, and pretty soon, the neighbors are all looking around and saying, wow, look at all this wealth you've got over there. I think I'll take it. And that provides the motivation for this war. And before you know it, this end times alliance that Ezekiel predicted 2,600 years ago could finish falling into place. I say finish falling into place because it's already falling into place. Another one of the pieces of the puzzle is mentioned in this passage as Cush. Now where is Cush? Okay, this is modern day Sudan, okay, and parts of Ethiopia, Now, you know what? There has never been any connection between Sudan and Iran, ever, until now. Because a radical Islamic jihadist government has emerged in Sudan, and their leaders have traveled back and forth to Iran to cultivate an alliance, and today, These two countries are the best of friends. Ezekiel predicted this 2,600 years ago. Up until maybe a couple decades ago, they are never in alliance with each other, but today they are. You never knew all this stuff was in the Bible, did you? It's in there. Okay, what about put? Okay, where do we put put? Okay, this is Libya and northern Africa, former home of Muammar Gaddafi. He's dead now, thank goodness. And the Lockerbie bomber who killed 270 uh, innocent souls, it's not hard to imagine this country joining an alliance with the Russians uh, and the Iranians. Okay, then we come to Gomer, okay, and Beth Togarma. And I would place these ancient peoples in Turkey and also in Central Asia where some of them have migrated An older view actually put Gomer up in uh, modern Germany, but I think that's inaccurate. Uh, Again, uh, Josephus, our our, uh, 2,000-year-old Jewish historian, he connected Gomer with the Galatians. And you know where the Galatians were? Okay, that was in what we would call central Turkey. So I think this is probably the most accurate view that I have there on the screen. Now, let me just take a moment to, to talk about Turkey because this is really interesting. And I, I've puzzled over this because up until just a very few years ago, for, for 50 years at least, Turkey has been closely aligned with, with the West okay, and with us. Okay? They were one of our allies, not Russia's. They're a longstanding member of, of NATO. Uh, the United States has a military base even in, in Turkey. But clearly, according to Ezekiel here, it's part of this end times Russian-Iranian coalition against Israel. And in just the last few years, Turkey has moved dramatically away from its alliances with the West and dramatically toward an alliance with uh, Russia and her allies. Okay? And Turkey has been aligning with Russia and with uh, Iran and even Syria. Now, their current president is a guy by the name of Recep Erdogan. 
okay? And he has been consolidating control. He's been destroying all opposition. He's, he's, he's supposed to be elected, but he's fast on track to becoming a permanent dictator there. He has been actively moving the country away from a moderate Muslim position toward a far more radical one. Uh, not many years ago, Turkey was considered a friend and ally of Israel. They used to conduct military exercises together. Okay, that was just a few years ago. But those days are gone. They are increasingly playing the role of an enemy. So what's happening? Okay, again, right before our eyes, Turkey is shifting his alliance from the West to the very nations that Ezekiel lists in this confederacy. Let me show you a picture. Okay, do you know who this guy on the right is? Anybody know his name? That's okay. You probably, some of you recognize him. That's Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, okay? Former president of Iran, one of the most virulent uh, anti-Semites on the planet. I mean, he hasn't minced words saying, we want to destroy Israel. We want to destroy the Jews. He was the one out there leading the chance, death to America, death to Israel. Okay, by the way, we are the great Satan. The United States is the great Satan in their eyes. The little Satan is Israel. And they want to destroy us, okay? The guy on the left, you know who he is? That's the president of Turkey, okay? Recep, Erdogan, okay, here they are, good friends, buddy, buddy, isn't this sweet? And, and Turkey has endorsed Iran's nuclear program and international defiance, and they have joined together with Iran in denouncing Israel. And this has all developed, again, I keep saying this, in just the last few years. And Ezekiel predicted it. 2,600 years ago. But it's only right now that all these things are falling into place. Now, I don't know how much time we have left. I'm not setting any dates with you ever. Okay, but I wonder, how much longer could it be with all these pieces falling into place until this war becomes a reality? Now, when Ezekiel speaks to Gog through the words of this prophecy, he tells Gog that there will be many nations with you okay and uh here uh we'll see uh the names of the one we know i put this on the back of your outline uh, on my screen here i forgot to put two ball up there in turkey but it should be there in turkey uh, ezekiel does not present this by the way as an exhaustive list there may be other nations there he said there'll be many nations with you but there are some very notable absences from this list and two really big ones that I would have expected to be here, which are not, are the countries of Iraq and Egypt. And it's very, very curious that these two countries are left off the list because both of those countries are long-term enemies of Israel. In the three major wars that have been fought against Israel since their founding in 1948 to destroy her, okay, the first war in 1948 and then again in 67, then again in 73, every time... Both Egypt and Iraq took part in that coalition of nations with the goal of wiping Israel off the map. Can every time they failed. Now, if the war of Gog and Magog is approaching soon, can you think of any reason why maybe these two countries would not take part? Now, for Iraq, okay, we fought a war over there. I've got a son who served in the Marine Corps, and he, he was over there. And uh, that country, they're in turmoil yet, but they've 
dramatically changed direction. Under Saddam Hussein, they were firing Scud missiles into uh, Israel right and left. But Saddam Hussein is gone now. Things are different in Iraq. Could it be that maybe our influence in Iraq explains why they do not participate in this war against Israel? Well, I don't know. I can't say for sure. But it's an intriguing thought. What about Egypt? Well, the last time that Egypt fought against Israel, which they did several times, it was an utter, absolute disaster for Egypt. Not only did Egypt's armies fail to achieve victory against Israel, but Israel's army marched within a few miles of Cairo, okay, and the Egyptians were terrified. They were devastated. How could this happen? And I I guess following a a three-strikes-and-you're-out policy, Egypt finally said, okay, okay, okay. We won't fight you anymore. And they signed a lasting peace treaty with Israel. It's called the Camp David Accords. And peace was restored. Israel has seized the whole Sinai Peninsula. They gave it back to Egypt. And today, still, these two countries uh, are at peace with each other. And just maybe this explains why Egypt is notably lacking from this next attempt to destroy Israel. Don't know. I'm just guessing. Now, what will be the unifying factor okay, that brings all these nations together? And maybe you could guess. Okay, it is radical Islam. Now, if you don't understand Islam, you won't really understand this war. But if you really understand Islam, and especially radical Islam, and especially apocalyptic Islam, which is, which is a little bit different, All this makes perfect sense. Islam wants to destroy Israel. They have a a belief system that if Islam once controls a land, it is theirs forever. Okay, And even if it's taken away from them, it still belongs to them. They once claimed the land of Israel. This is theirs. In their mind, it's still theirs. Okay, we got to get rid of these people who are there. They don't call, you know what they call the the Independence Day of, of Israel? They call it the Nakba, the disaster. Okay, because that's when Muslim territory stopped being Muslim territory, and they can't handle that. Now, not only that, but they believe, they have an end times philosophy, a belief system as well. They believe in a coming Messiah, just like we do. Okay, they call him the Mahdi, or the 12th Imam, and they believe that before the Mahdi, their Messiah appears, that first of all, there has got to be uh, a devastating violence in the world, a great Satan is, the United States has got to be destroyed. The little Satan, Israel, has got to be wiped off the map. And they believe that all this has to happen before their Messiah can appear. So they're very motivated to help their Messiah out and destroy Israel and will ultimately attack us as well. And that, from the Islamic perspective, is really what is going to be driving this war. Now, I want to talk today just briefly about the growing worldwide animosity toward Israel. And I, I know it's late. I don't, I don't have a lot of time. But anti-Semitism is far from dead in this world. It's actually getting a whole lot worse. And not only in the Middle East, but also in Europe. It's, it's hugely on the rise in Europe. And I hate to say it, but it's also on the rise here in the United States of America. Now, last week I mentioned that Pittsburgh uh, synagogue massacre that was just a few weeks ago. And that's not the only case of violent anti-Semitism that's been showing up even here in America. 
the views of Israel towards the United States have changed over the years with the different administrations. Back during the years of the Bush administrations, 88% of Israelis believed that the United States and the U.S. president was on their side. During the Obama administration, do you know how many Israelis thought that the president was on their side? 4%. Okay? They thought, he's not with us. Okay? Now, there's a new man in the White House now, and President Trump is very supportive of Israel. But one thing I, I know about America is that this pendulum swings back and forth. Okay? And it's going to swing again uh, sooner or later. And who knows what the future holds? Now, in the United Nations, uh, Israel is continually viewed as the biggest problem in the world. Okay? It's not North Korea. Okay? It's not Syria or any of those other places. Okay? Those places don't get mentioned hardly in the United Nations. What gets mentioned is this terrible, terrible, terrible problem we have in the world by the name of Israel. And they, they, they have uh, uh, votes against Israel over and over again. Let me give you this quote. This is the head of the International Atomic Energy Administration. He's quoted as saying, Israel is the number one threat to the Middle East. Not Syria, not Iran, Israel, given the nuclear arms it possesses. And there is a large proportion of the world that thinks Israel is the biggest problem that exists in the world today. And it's really only a matter of time until little Israel stands all alone. Now, I want to just briefly mention the diplomatic challenge that's brought against this coalition. I mentioned it last week. If, we haven't looked directly in our Bibles too much this morning, but it's in, in verse 13 of chapter 38. Let me just read it. It says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, Have you come to see spoil? Have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold? to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil. Now, Sheba and Dedan are mentioned there. These are peoples down there in the Arabian Peninsula. And that's down here. That includes Saudi Arabia, uh, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates. Okay, And you may have noticed that these are not part of the coalition to invade Israel. And that may be because, if this is coming soon, Saudi Arabia absolutely detests Iran. They are terrified of Iran. They are terrified of Iran's desire to get nuclear weapons. And amazingly, this was just in the news again recently, Saudi Arabia has come out fully recognizing Israel's right to exist. Okay? And that is earth-shaking. That is earth-shaking for any Islamic nation to say that. Now, some of these other countries, such as Kuwait, <coughs> for example, clearly uh, aligned with the United States and the West. The other place that's mentioned, and this is really interesting, okay, Tarshish, okay, or, and all its leaders, which could be literally translated as Tarshish and all her young lions. Okay, this is interesting. Now, we do not know exactly where Tarshish is located. Okay, that's where uh, when Jonah got on the boat, to, to, he, wasn't, he was supposed to go to Nineveh, okay, which was to the east. He goes, uh-uh, I'm going the other way. And he got on the boat, headed towards Tarshish, which is someplace to the west. Okay? We don't know exactly where. Maybe it's a reference to Spain. Uh, maybe it's just a, a reference to Western Europe in, in general. 
And that produces an intriguing line of thought. Okay, if Tarshish was the western part of the world, okay, western Europe, you might say, who would the young lions be that belong to Tarshish? Could it not be the colonies established by those western nations? And if so, might include our nation. This might, okay, big, big capital M, this might be the only reference to the United States in all of Scripture. Okay? It's a very, very weak uh, connection, but it is possible. It is possible. Now, it would not surprise me if this war approached soon that the U.S. would join in and say, hey, guys, don't do that. That's not nice, okay, this, this diplomatic protest against this Russian invasion. All right, just about out of time for today, but the question remains, is this prophetic alliance forming today? Now, clearly, many of the political alliances foretold by Ezekiel are falling into place right now for the first time ever in human history. And if that is so, could this long prophesied war be approaching soon? Ezekiel 36 and 37 most people would acknowledge have already come true in our lifetime. Those are the prophecies talking about the return of the Jews to the land, the restoration of the land, the, the return of, of Israel as a nation. Most people say, yeah, okay, that, that's happened. Okay, That's the two chapters right before this. Happened. It's history now. So is it possible that chapter 38 and 39 could also come true soon? Now, all I can say is I don't know. I don't know for sure, but it looks like it to me, but obviously I don't fully know the mind of God. What I do know is that this war is coming. Ezekiel told us that. It is coming. It will surely take place, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, I get to come back and talk to you one last time before Pastor Chris gets back, and next week, Lord willing, I plan to address the question of where this event fits in in the timeline of the prophetic events around the end of the age. So we're going to be talking about some of those timeline things and where do we put this war on that timeline. I trust that you'll find it a very, very interesting study next week, so I hope you can come back. Because maybe, just maybe, ours will be the generation to see all this take place. And if this is going to take place soon, the Lord's coming has got to be soon. Would you pray with me? Father, it amazes me that you saw fit to give us all these details 2,600 years ago. And you put it in your word and you've preserved it through all these centuries, Lord, because you want us to know this stuff. Lord, you, you've told us what's coming. You want us to be aware. You've told us we're not supposed to be in the dark like the pagans. You've told us we've got a Savior who's coming back for us soon and we'd be looking for Him and waiting for Him expectantly that He could come any day. He could come today. And Lord, we see these signs of the times multiplying around us and we look at this world, we look at Your Word and it just seems like Your coming has got to be soon. Oh Lord, we're, we're excited about that. Lord, that the end of the ages could be upon us, Lord. We might be the generation to see it. So, Lord, it seems to me that we, of all people, 
need to be aware and understanding what your word has to say about all this. Lord, we pray that you would put a passion in our hearts to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, that they may be ready when Jesus appears to take us home. Lord, we, we pray that you would use us, that you'd use this church, that you'd use the, the missionaries we've sent out, Lord, to proclaim your name until we see you face to face. Lord, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Lord, for, for this church family. We pray in Jesus' name.